Hello and you're very welcome to episode 92 of the Irish Photography Podcast, where today's episode we'll be coming live from the Dive Ireland Expo in the Radisson Blue Hotel. We will have some of the best underwater photographers that Ireland has to offer, such as Nigel Moitier and Maya Stankovic. Stankovsky, and we'll also have Merotiti, Damien McGurk, and a few others. So we're really kind of going to get into um, into the mindset of those underwater photographers, and they're going to tell us what makes them tick, what makes them go, and hopefully they'll be gracious enough to tell us how to get better at underwater photography because. At times, it can become very challenging and it can become hard because like underwater photography, or sorry, not like normal photography, whereas there's a plethora of available opportunities or avenues to go and learn how to get better at it. But underwater photography is very niche sport. It's a very niche style or genre of photography. And if there's only a limited amount of people in the world doing it, it's very hard to get better at it. Now, Thank God for some of the books that are out there on offer, such as uh, Alex Mustard's Masterclass Underwater Photography book, which he graciously sent me a copy of it last week, and he also signed it for me. So thank you very, very much to Alex Mustard. That is very generous of you. So without further ado, guys, we're going to kind of push on, and we're going to see if we can get some of these lovely photographers on as special guests. And uh, yeah, let's have a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back. I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back, relax, and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Dermot and Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. And we're back at the Irish Photography Podcast and we're still here live at the dive show in Limerick in the Radisson Blue Hotel. And we're joined by Damien McGurk, Mr. One Brett Photography. Hi, Keaton, buddy. <laughs> oh, I just need to catch my breath now after all that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Now, we've came from a very, very interesting talk that you were giving inside the drum and ear room. And we've already had on math. Matthew Blen Blen Blenu ben, uh, Benitois, I think. Ben, ben is he French or is he Australian? I don't I know. There's a bit of I both. Think, I, well, I think he might be of French descent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice guy. So yes. he's actually going to come on in a while now and talk yeah. about his deep break. But yeah, of course, we have you here, and you're very entertaining. I have to. Say. You're very <laughs> vibrant, and you 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 demand the presence of the room. And you only put one person to sleep, so well done, that be I'm delighted for you. <laughs> Well, I was going to supply sleeping bags for everybody in the audience, but I, I declined because of, and you would probably just get one. Oh, no, it's brilliant. It was a great talk, so Thank congratulations you, Thank on you that very one. much. Uh, this is your second time on the podcast. Is uh, It's mm. good to be back? No, it certainly is. It's lovely to be back with your listeners. Brilliant, brilliant. So let's uh, dive into this, excuse the pun, and mm-hmm. uh, let's talk about some of the topics that you covered inside. So you talk about light being the fourth element in underwater photography. Can you elaborate on that a bit more and what, what you mean by that? Yeah, well, I mean, the only reason why I brought that in to the, to the fore, particularly as underwater photographers, is that light is really, really important for the simple reason reason being that when we go down and we go underneath the water the light just starts to fade it starts to disappear and depending on the visibility of the water it'll disappear faster also the color will be disappearing faster right. as well too so what's the, so the process of color so is it, is, i think it's red orange and yeah i think i think i think the first things the, the first things to go are the reds and the yellows okay so up at the red yellow end of the spectrum goes mm. first reds disappear really really fast the last thing to go is the blues Okay. That's the last thing to go. That's when you get down to like. That's when you're getting down. <laughs> no, not even there. funny enough. No, funny enough. No, it can the the reds can bleed out. It's particularly if you're diving in tropical locations, the reds can be gone twenty meters. Okay. Yeah, it just depends on what sea you're in, basically. If you're in the Irish Sea, about two meters. Uh, yes. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> yeah. Joke, yeah. Joke. Well, well, you, you know, in fairness, like, well, in in our in our in, in Irish seas, it's the big green as opposed yeah. to the big blue. You know, yeah. it's the green. It just probably the green is the last thing to go in the red yeah. in, in Irish waters. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. So, uh, the, the, this you talk about the soul of an underwater photography. Mm-hmm. Now that sounds really, really deep, mm-hmm. and I have a soul. 
and mm-hmm. you said mm-hmm. you have a very dark soul and and your pictures come true like that but dark, I want dark eye, dark eye yes, sorry. Yes, dark and what eye. I found funny about that because you showed some topside images for mm-hmm. our listeners topside is mm-hmm. where most of our listeners mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. listen is above water mm-hmm. but your underwater photography is you have your dark eye but above water mm. you have a very vibrant soul is what I, <laughs> what I saw in some of your images so you have a bit of a yin yang there yeah, so absolutely. tell me about more about your soul yeah I mean the thing about it, well you know the thing about it is is that um, sometimes that I find like if you're shooting top side right okay yes a lot of the pictures that actually showed in the presentation are, are vibrant okay and the reason why they're vibrant is because if you actually look at all the images i've sent sunlight is a factor yeah it's sunlight and the direction of sunlight was very much a factor however i could have shown you other images okay. which are certainly not that way inclined <laughs> where in other words what i do is what i would do is i i find uh, darkness and majesty in 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 more um let's say more challenging like conditions okay so dark grays gray days stuff like that okay i mean like i tend to i, I really like that kind of thing misery. you know like yeah well yeah misery yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. A friend of mine, but there's something Bernard, he yeah. loves misery yeah <laughs> <laughs> but as well as that you know like i would also be influenced as well by uh, things like the lord of the rings you know this mm. dark mortar type landscapes which i think are are beautiful in yes. in their magnificence even though they're very very dark and i tend to sometimes gravitate more to that and it also depends on your mood as well too yes. you know like your your mood can be very much influenced by you know the, the sun or lack of it you know yeah. but I often find like you often find that some of the landscape photographers like to say oh the, sun, the, the light is bad the light is this the light is that the way I look at it is just work with what you have. Shape it. Yeah, shape it. Work with what you have. You can actually find majesty and beauty in even the darkest, greyest day. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that's that's really what I was saying. Brilliant, really brilliant. Come from there. So you talk about uh, a psychological makeup. Mm-hmm. What, 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 what do you mean? Psychological makeup of... Uh, did I actually say that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The psychological makeup of a photographer. Well, I suppose, really, it's another way of saying the psycho- the, the actual soul of the okay, photographer. Okay, same thing. How, like, in other words, uh, you know, how you see light and how you see colour, I think, is a, it's a very personal thing, you know, and okay. different photogra- photographers have different ways and styles of applying that light to their images, you know, to create mood, you know, yes. which can also be kind of maybe reflective of what's going on inside them as well, too, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's what makes them kind of stand out. Like, if we were all going out, if we all decided, certainly as topside photographers, I'm only going to shoot uh, in sunlight and beautiful days, right? Okay. Yeah. What a, what a, you know, you, you're only be showing one side of, of, of the great the grand design. Really. Yeah, yeah. One yeah. side of the grand, the grand dimension, you know. I mean, like, and that's what I would say even the landscape photographers, you know. I mean, like shooting grey conditions, shooting foggy conditions, all yes. these, like you can create so much atmosphere. Like me personally, I yeah. shoot in everything. If yeah. I get an opportunity, yeah, yeah, I yeah. am gone. Yes. Misery, sun, Yeah, absolutely. Fog, everything. Yeah. I but, love it. But the beautiful thing about that is, and Dermot, I'm sure you'd agree with me, it diversifies your portfolio. But absolutely. also gives people, viewers, a sense of who you are as a yes. photographer, you know, yeah. as, as a person, you know, absolutely. and it can be deeply reflective of that. But what I noticed about myself underwater, I mm-hmm. seem to be a more or vibrant yes yeah and yeah i love yeah, colors yeah. i yes, love being able yeah. to pop them and mm-hmm, demanding mm-hmm. the attention of the viewer mm-hmm, by using mm-hmm, the colors mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, especially using color mm-hmm, contrast mm-hmm, that's yeah. a big thing for me yeah and absolutely and one thing i would say as well particularly for us in the irish uh, community taking pictures underwater we actually want to sometimes really communicate that color to people because a lot of people will think well there's nothing under the irish waters to see but oh, there's there, plenty. there actually is you know there's and, loads. and there's a a gamut, if you want to want for a better word, of incredible colour that's just there waiting to be brought to the fore. And that's Absolutely. one of the things that we can definitely communicate as underwater photographers in Ireland. Yeah. You know, it's so important Like that you would want to do that. Let's talk about something that is difficult to photograph mm-hmm. in Ireland, and that is a sunball. And you've mm-hmm. some amazing images mm-hmm. of sunballs mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. using them to your advantage. Mm-hmm. They all seem to be shot in very clear waters yes, and lovely. They do. Have you they do. been able to shoot them here yes, in Ireland? Yes, I actually do have one or two images where I do actually have a sunball in Irish waters, but I didn't actually put them up. Okay. And there's a reason for that, which I'd rather not go into here. <laughs> it, I could tell you off the air, but it, yes. it's, it's a personal reason because of what I actually captured in the images actually you know, means a little bit, uh, means something to me, and I didn't okay. want to put it up. Okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, sunballs. Um, 
in in tropical in in velvet like this certainly translates you need good visibility right? okay. okay that's the first thing the second real critical thing about the sunball is the depth you're at and lots of people like sometimes when you're doing this for the first time you don't consider this an underwater photographer you might get a crap sunball at five meters and then you can just travel down another five meters go 10 meters put a little bit more distance of water like you're almost using water as a creative filter yeah, for want of a better word, using like, it as a, a diffuser. Yeah, a diffuser or yeah. creative filter, absolutely. You know, and just by moving those couple of meters deeper, you know, the sun ball as you're looking at it gets better, and your camera sees it better. Yeah. So, how so. do you photograph a sun ball? What's your process? Well, the main process of a sun ball should always be is first and foremost, especially if you want to put artificial light into it, if you want to light something in the foreground, is you shoot the sun ball with no strobes on at all. Okay. You set up your, exposure. your exposure. Yeah, you get your base exposure in your camera, right, okay, for getting the silhouette of the thing that you're looking at, which will be totally black, obviously, and then the actual sun ball itself. So you're trying to shrink down that ball to such a point where you're actually seeing the rays coming out of it, for want of a better word. Okay. And on some of the cameras, like, you can turn your eyes or right down to, say, 100, we'll say, hypothetically, you know, and you can screw your aperture right, right down, and you can change your camera speed and everything right, yep. right down, and yet still your sensor sees a big ball of white. Yeah. And that's at the point of time when you've got to say, right, the only thing I can do to cure this is go deeper. Yeah, yeah. Okay. To, to increase that. And then when you've done all that, try again. And then when you get the sun ball, the, the effect that you're looking for, right? Then it's just a matter then of working your strobes then. And generally what I tend to find is on sun balls, because your camera, your aperture is literally squinting yes, at the sun. you need a bit more light. You need to punch up the power of your strobes up yeah. to the max, right? Okay, and pull them in closer, right? Okay, to light the foreground scene. Okay. You know, like that that would be one of my rough rules of thumb and for doing it. Would you it. feather the light like you talk about inside or would you just yeah. punch it? Oh, I would say there. I would say punch it full throttle. <laughs> yeah, punch full throttle as much as you can, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because as I say the camera's exposure is thrown off so badly by yes. Now some of our modern day cameras can deal with sunballs much better. Yeah, you often yeah. hear some of the underwater guys saying, "Oh, such and such a camera takes great sunballs, etc." Yeah. So mine doesn't. Because well, I'm I, shooting with a D200, and that oh, is the, uh, what we would yeah. call retro. But the camera still works, and it still yeah, takes great. It does, pictures. yeah. Well, we try. Our, well, do we do? Well, they've been produced inside, Damien. So I'm fully convinced <laughs> that the D200 is still a, a fabulous uh, camera. Yeah, well, as I say, we. I mean, you look at the old pros. I mean, like Martin Edge would have shot with a D200. Alex Muster would have shot with a D200. I'm sure Nigel would have shot with a D200 yeah. at some stage as Absolutely. they evolved. You know, so yeah. I just haven't evolved yet. They're all Nikon shooters, <laughs> though, isn't it? They are, yeah. <laughs> but you know that'll always be. The, do you know something that is always the age-old argument, especially I'm sure topside as well as underwater. Absolutely. Canon or Nikon, Canon or Nikon. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's whatever. It's 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 whatever works for you. It's either Nike or Adidas. I'll only wear Nike. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk about water sponge light. Mm -hmm. Please tell me what that is. Just very. It's the reason why I write that. I wrote that those three little words is just to commute. Com um, communicate particularly to the beginners that water is a sponge for light okay so in mm -hmm. other words the more distance you put between yourself we'll say in the sun you're going to lose light values okay likewise for strobes when i talk about that inverse square law thing when you start moving back the water is starting to you're when you're shooting through more bodies of water mm -hmm. that water is pulling away that light from your subject it's just acting like a sponge yes. you've got to just be aware of that when you're down shooting that water is a sponge around your strobes yeah and you've got it that's why you've got it, as I was saying to people, you got to work that light on the water to try and get the best It took me outcome. months to figure out yeah. the inverse square law bit, because yeah. my lecture seemed to have just made mm -hmm. a mince meat of it, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. look, it got through to me eventually. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. At times, but the way you described it inside, because like, mm -hmm. I know what it is before mm -hmm. you yeah. said it, but then when you said it, I was like, that's a very simplistic way. Mm -hmm. of saying, Why did my lecture just say that? Mm, yeah, college? yeah. You I know, always find, um, and particularly because I, I work in college myself, I find the best way to communicate ideas complicated is just study the idea and just make it as simple as possible mm. and pitch it. Yeah. Never assume that someone is going to get, get it straight away. Yeah. So always make it easy. Easy, easy, I like easy things. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I do too. They're the most elegant of them yeah. all, you know. Uh, do you prefer to photograph in harsh light or soft light underwater? Because I prefer to photograph in soft light uh, above water. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. If you're shooting with ambient light, no strobes, mm. no. Mm. 
well, I mean, like, again, what I would say is is that by its very nature, when you're going underwater, I feel the light is going to be soft anyway. Yeah. yeah. But, like, if you're talking about hard light, well, then hard light would be, particularly if you're going to do it underwater, right, okay, you know, it's something that most of underwater photographers maybe don't try enough is just take the diffusers off and just see how the hard light hitting a subject can look. Yeah. Very interesting. And, like and yeah, and, and but not many do it, but you you can do it. There's nothing stopping you do it. It's just that... I never even thought of it till you just said it then. Well, that was why I was saying about that phrase, rutitis. Yes. You know, like, is that you're bedded into one way of thinking all the time, you know, oh, this works for me, so I'm not going to change it, etc., etc. But yeah. in actual fact, you can take the diffusers you off, you know. Like, like and I've actually... change lighting positions, but yeah. I never thought about taking the diffusers well, off. Well, interestingly ever. enough, interestingly enough, if you shoot with a snoot, you are taking the diffuser off. Yeah. You have F to take it off. Funny about your snoot. Mm. Did you make that yourself, or is it just no, so bad that you've that, got that, masking tape? That's a bought one. No, that's a bought one. Actually, right, believe okay. it or not, for that particular strobe that I was using, okay. it's a bought one. Um, and you can increase or decrease the apertures and stages. Okay. If you're, if anybody, if you're any of your listeners were interested in doing snoot work underwater, uh, look up a guy called Kerry Wilk Kerry on Wilk, okay. uh, the internet. Just Google Kerry Wilk and snoot. And... Uh, Kerry definitely takes has taken snoot up to the nth level, for want Brilliant. of a better word. Amazing, definitely, amazing. definitely yeah, keep worth, the, worth the watch. One last thing I want to talk about, and it's backscatter. Now, mm -hmm. I know what backscatter is, but mm -hmm. for all the listeners who don't yeah. dive underwater, mm -hmm. what is backscatter? How can it affect your image? Yeah, well, very, very easily explained. You can actually create a dissimulation of backscatter in the comfort of your own room. Okay. okay, literally all you've got to do is go into your kitchen, right, with a camera and a flash gun on it, right, okay, take a small handful of flour and throw it up into the air and then take a picture and see what happens. It's like shooting in a blizzard, for want of a better word. In other words, and unfortunately in Ireland, we have got an awful lot of suspended particles, little microscopic plants and algae and stuff like that that's floating through the medium of water. And that can be good or bad on different days of the year, okay? Sometimes, you often hear Irish divers talking about the viz being great and not being so great. When the viz is not so great, there's loads of particles in the water. If there's loads of particles in the water and you start spraying light all around there on the water with a strobe, chances are you're going to get images with this blizzard in them, okay? Mm. So what you're trying to do is you're trying not to light as much particles in the blizzard, but just light the subject that you're interested in. You're trying to keep the blizzarding down to a minimum, for want of yeah, a better okay. word. And it's something that every order, every underwater photographer struggles with, yeah, okay. uh, in their journey, you know. And yeah. there are different ways of doing it and getting rid of it, but there's no one magic fix for it. You just have to keep playing with it. Very good. Meryl, Damien, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. You're I very love having you on because you have a wealth of knowledge and you're a very entertaining <laughs> person. Thank you very much, buddy. <laughs> No problem at all. Thank you, Dermot, for having me. Photography podcast. And now we have a new person in. Maya, I pronounced your name on a previous podcast, and I don't know if you heard it or not, but I think I butchered your name, your second name. I got your first name right, but I got your second name wrong, I'm sure. But how would you pronounce your second name? Uh, so it's pronounced Tankowski. Okay, I'll just listen to it. I won't be, I won't Don't worry, you can just call me Maya. Maya, that's good, that's good, that's good. So we just came out of one of the rooms, and you had absolutely a mind-blowing talk because you talked about all oh, shooting critters and the macro side of things in underwater photography and i have dove past all these things a hundred times and i haven't even realized it uh, what got you into photographing uh, macro photography so basically what got me into macro was i love finding all the critters and spotting things that are there. It's almost like a, a little bit of a hunt. Yes. What, what, do, what, do, what else can I discover? Yeah. And in underwater worlds, as much as we don't realize, there are so many things that still need to be discovered and found. Sure, the world is 70% water, isn't that correct? Exactly, yes. Yeah. And um, the, wh when I did dive abroad, there were so many th uh, small things that I was shown, but there weren't many pictures from Ireland. Okay. I said, okay, we have to change this. I know things are there, and I know there are nudibranchs. So I started with, okay, there are a lot of nudibranchs that I can see in Scottish waters, and Scottish photographers are taking them. Why aren't there any in Ireland? Mm. So they have to be there. So this is, it almost meant, okay, I have to start, and I have to find and photograph these things, and there, more people have to start doing these things. And that's what got me started Brilliant. in 2000 and 
12 probably that I started spotting my first nudibranchs. And um, I've expanded the pictures and the library almost since. And there are a lot of other photographers that have started doing this. Yeah, brilliant. I remember uh, when I found my own, not my own, I don't own it, the first time I spotted a nudibranch by myself because Mike Ort, a very good friend of ours, he was showing me how to look for him. And then when I finally found my, my one by myself, I was ecstatic and I tried to photograph it. Now, what, the, the picture didn't come out great, but uh, a sense of finding nudibranch for me, especially in my early underwater photography career, it's just, I, I love finding them, but it is hard to find them. Where would you kind of really kind of find these little critters mostly? So over the years, I've learned they are really, really um, easier to find the more you know about them. Yes. So first thing was education and what they like to eat. And people say, often ask me, are you a biologist? No, I just read about them and try to research as much as I can so I can spot them and find them. And uh, this is the funny thing is because I've been diving so many years in Ireland um, and cold water and I really love cold water and temperate water diving. It's really special when I do go abroad I can't spot as many, despite the fact that they're there. But I have learned how to find them in cold and temperate water in Ireland, mm. uh, uh, in UK, Scotland. Uh, but if I go diving to warm water, uh, to Canaries, I won't spot as many. Wow, that's amazing. And you talk about getting close and then even closer. Uh, is it really that hard to see them? Um, it's first of all getting closer is really really important because in ireland most of them not all of them are really really small they're tiny there will be an average size of a nudibranch is around three to four centimeters wow so you have to be closer and some of them do really blend in now there are nudibranchs that are bigger hard to find i have spotted a 20 centimeter nudibranch in dublin last wow. year wow Yes. That's so, insane. Yes, and I couldn't believe it. And three divers were together looking at it and going, they come in this size? Really? <laughs> and they do. <laughs> the problem is when they're that size, they like to blend in even more. Okay. So th- despite the fact that they're bigger, they're hard to spot. So you really have to have good buoyancy, know where to find them, and then just keep your eyes peeled and go slowly. Okay, cool. Brilliant. Now, do do you use strobes or do you use torchlight? And if you use both, which one would you prefer? Personally, I would prefer flashes um, because I find that strobes are really, really hard. So they are brilliant as video lights and as a constant source of light. But nudibranchs are so small and they're on such a background that... Sometimes with strobes you can over um, using a video light or using a torch you will overexpose them mm. and it makes it much much harder. So if you have flashes, good quality flashes that you can adjust up and down and you can change and swap and move around, that will make it much easier and you will make a better picture and you'll be able to take a better picture and show them in a more flattering light. Brilliant. Because it, it, underwater, right, you don't have shadows. So if you expose something too much, yes. you lose all all the texture. Okay, yeah, brilliant. And what what flashes do you have? Um, so I'm currently um, I'm using Zenon two forty, but I have started. I've gotten another present, and I'm swapping to three hundreds. You know, oh, to three thirties. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I have the Z two forties myself. I love them. They're absolutely brilliant. We featured them as a VSP uh, two weeks ago, and. Um, you talked about using Eichelite housing. Now, myself, I've just moved away from Eichelite, and you say they're too heavy. Uh, do you still shoot with an SLR, or like, is it just because the housing was just too heavy you just got rid of? Uh, no, I actually shoot SLR, and I have moved away from Eichelite housing. I used it approximately for one season, mm-hmm. and very quickly moved away from it. And um, currently, I'm using Hajifoot, okay. and um, I find it it's smaller, slightly smaller, it's much harder to fit the camera into it as it makes it more tricky. But it's much smaller and lighter for me. Um, I am a woman and it's hard to lift for me thing, uh, for me to lift things. And this, this makes it really important on ergonomic Brilliant. housing. Yeah, yeah. Now, you also say never shoot down, shoot up. In a top side, if you're shooting a portrait, a model, you'll never really kind of shoot up. You'll always kind of shoot down for a more pleasing picture but is it diff- that much different in underwater photography it actually is completely different because um 
uh, if you look at the underwater world, it's really, really busy and messy. So you want to show the critter in a flattering light, and how do you do that? You either shoot it against uh, bl the blue, the sea, and the only way you can do that is shoot up, uh, or you will shoot, shoot them against a contrasting nice background, but you can't always find them with a nice background. So your best way is to shoot up. You show, show the eyes and shoot into the blue. Brilliant. I think talking about uh, you can't really find a nice background, could you bring things into the water which you'd maybe put behind the critters? Uh, maybe photograph them? Maybe? You, uh, you actually could, yes. If you brought a nice white board or something or an orange board, you actually could put yeah. things behind, yes. Because we do that in the top side. You know, if something's not working for you, I might get a piece of cardboard of a different colour, maybe green, blue, yellow, and I'll stick it behind my subject matter and photograph it. So, yeah, it's, it's not a bad idea, is it? No, no it's not <laughs> a bad idea. You, you could do this if you, yeah, yes. Uh, but you're, you would really, really need a very patient buddy. Oh, Mike Ort, he's great. You know, so we're into the same thing. So we always dive together. Uh, you say critters are territorial. I, I, I find that baffling because uh, when the nudibranch, they just seem so lazy. So, like, do they get territorial with each other with other nudibranchs? Um, they do three things <laughs> that I find, and this is what I've always found them. So they they they, li they like to be on their food source, and that becomes their home as well. Okay. Uh, and you have to find their food source, and you will find the nudibranchs. They like to mate, and again, they like to do that on their food source, and they like to move about a little bit, but not too far away. Okay. They are small and they are slow, so. Um, if you if you're looking for nudibranchs that likes to live on dead man's fingers, that's what you should be looking for. So they're just like humans in another way. Exactly, we like to they feed are. To food. We like to mate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about this very very pretty thing that I've never seen before until today, and it's called a stalked jellyfish, yes. and especially the red color one. It, the way to describe it is if you put your hand kind of like in the shape like this, and it's just it's so perplexing to see something so beautiful on the on the screen on the projector inside like how long did it take you to kind of see these come about to you um it, it took me a while to spot them so uh what i went about is first how do i find them and i started looking at what pictures other photographers are taking um closer and uh, most I found was in UK and Scotland I said okay they have to be in Ireland too mm. okay what do you find them on uh, and then I started, I went for a dive and it was only in a few meters, two meters, shore dive, and looked at the seagrass and I said, okay, seagrass is the perfect habitat, they have to be here, and voila, they were there. But it took me probably 10 minutes looking at the same patch of seagrass, two meters by two meters, wow. and then I spotted probably around 50. That's amazing. That's that, that so many of those little things would be in the one area. That, that, that's fantastic. And I'll just fly through some of the, the other things that you photographed nice and quick because we are conscious of the time. So I, I tried to pronounce this inside and uh, I said, uh, I'm not very good at naming things, a Simnia patulia, is that right? Simnia patula, yeah. I, I got it right now. I just don't ask wrong. And you photographed sea spiders. When you said sea spiders, I kind of, oh God. Yucky. So, but they're not exactly like real spiders, are they? No, they're not sea spiders at all. They're actually marine anthropods. Okay. Uh, they just look like sea spiders. So naturally, we started calling them sea spiders, despite the fact they have no habits like sea spiders. So, um, what what they are is they're just uh, creatures with spindly legs and thin legs. So they became sea spiders, but they are really, really common. Just hard to photograph. Brilliant, brilliant. Just one last question, I'm putting you on the spot. If you were to give one piece of advice to an up-and-coming underwater photographer, what would it be? Be patient. I like it. I have none of it. Maya, <laughs> 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 well, thank you very, very much for coming on. I really enjoyed your company and I really, really loved your talk. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. As a company with an international reputation for quality and customer care, they are told that this is second to none. They fully understand their obligation to you and their customers. Each suit is manufactured to established procedure that they have developed and evolved over the years.
With their experienced, dedicated team, O3 has grown into one of the best respected dry suit and wetsuit manufacturers and that is an established market leader, putting quality neoprene innovation and service to the very core of everything they do. From the very beginning, it was their strong belief that O3 would be about exceptional quality and customer care. Simple really, and still their main aim. To build a solid business, you cannot have one without the other. This approach takes time, but with stubborn conviction, those two core values have become inextricably linked and are the bedrock of O3's success for the last 31 years. O3, come in from the cold. Check out their awesome website at www.o3.co.uk. And you're very welcome back to the Irish Photography Podcast. And for sure, I was in my favorite talk all day. This is the guy I've been talking up for the last few weeks. And boy, did he not disappoint. Welcome to the show, Nigel Meitler. How are you keeping, buddy? I'm good, thanks. I'm very good, thank you. Great stuff. What a great introduction. I tell you, I tell you. Now, what I find funny, right, is I tried to pronounce this name a few weeks ago and I butchered it. And we've actually, for the listeners, we've came up with the proper pronunciation for it. Thank you to Nick Pfeiffer. It's Shervoy. Shervoy, yeah, in Norway. I pronounce it Skurjavervor or something like that. So Yeah, well, you're not alone. We, we, <laughs> when we arrived there, we were pronouncing it Skurvoy for, for the first week we were there. And then eventually somebody said, no, that's not what it is. It's, it's Shervoy, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. So let's dive right into it. So um, one of the photographs that I thought was amazing is, and you used a certain tool to get this little guy to come out. And you actually brought down a mirror. And it's not oh, to be yeah. vain or anything like that. It was to, uh, why, why, did, why did you use it? Tell the uh, listeners. Yeah, I, br- I use a little, um, you know, like these little compact mirrors that women use to apply makeup. You'll see them taking these little, flipping these mirrors open and, and, and reapplying makeup. And uh, I use it because an awful lot of the animals are very territorial. Right. And, and so when you're trying to photograph something, they obviously they don't want to come out and have a look at what you're doing. They're afraid you're going to eat them or kill them. <laughs> so after a while, you can sit there and they get used to your presence, but they can still be shy. But one of the things you can do is if you flip open a mirror and you prop the mirror up in front of where they're living, then they get much more territorial and going, I don't know what that guy is, that photographer, I don't know what he is, but I know that guy and he's trying to take where I live and I'm not having it. So he'll come out and, and they'll often display or they'll go into a threat pattern, but it means you get a more interesting photograph because you get them out from where they live. That's class. And, and you seem to utilise the exposure triangle quite often and you and I, we kind of have a similar, especially topside, I like to shoot a shallow depth of field and you seem to do the, the exact same under the water. Um, is that something that you practice, you, you do a lot? Uh, yeah, um, I suppose I do. I, uh, um, I, underwater photography tends to happen in one of two ways. It tends to be wide angle. Yes. or it tends to be macro. Yeah. And, and there isn't an awful lot of photography done in that middle distance. And so um, in the last number of years, and I think the reason for that is because people invest in the equipment and they buy a wide-angle lens and they buy a macro lens. Um, in, in recent years, I've looked at some of the photography that I've taken and I've got bored with it. And I've said, I need to think about some of my pictures in a different way. Okay. And I changed the lens, that I, I, I changed my wide-angle lens and I changed it from a fisheye which I would use 90% of the time for my wide angle. And I, I changed it to a 16 to 35. Mm. And that forced me to look at things in a different way. And I found when I started photographing with that, I would regularly keep it at the 16 end. But now I'm much more interested by the pictures I take at the 35 mil okay. end. Okay, that's and interesting because you're getting more film of water into your subject matter. So your background would be a little more murkier. So how do you yeah. tackle that or do you, uh, do you use that to your advantage, maybe? Yeah, I, I mean, look, the, the, the reason we use wide-angle lenses is, to, is exactly, as you say, is to cut down the amount of water between you and your subject, allow you to get close and still get yes. it all in. Um, and with a fisheye lens, that's super easy to do, but you get this distortion at the edge yeah, of the, it's of the frame. Yeah, at times. And it can look wrong, yeah, yeah. it can look wrong. Uh, and then a 16-35 to 35 is a rectilinear lens, and again, they don't operate really well behind a dome, um, in that you can get these stretched edges, and you can lose edge softness, you can, or you can lose edge sharpness, I should say, okay. the, the edges become soft. And so, where those lenses, where those rectilinear lenses work really well is when you're zoomed in a little bit, and, and, it, and what I now see is at the 35mm end, it forces me to look at the animal I'm photographing in a different way. And as a consequence, when I'm looking at my pictures, I kind of think, there's a big wide-angle fish I've seen, 
but here's a kind of a close portrait of an animal that actually adds to that. It okay. makes, gives you a different view of the same thing and it, it, helps, it helps you then to create maybe three or four images to show the same thing in a different way yeah. and it makes it more interesting to the viewer because I don't know, like we've all been to look at people's pictures and they want to show you, you know, 20 pictures of a lobster and they're all pretty much the same picture. Yes. And, yeah. and it's, it, it, what I'm now trying to force myself to do is try and take it in a different way, try and think of it in a different way. Uh, if the rule, outside the box. Yeah, if the rule says don't do it that way, we'll try it that way and see what happens. There you go. Generally, there's a rule that's right. The rules are meant <laughs> to be broken. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you showed a few photographs there of dual anemones, and I love the fact that you're using the colour theory in those images. So you see the, the greens to the purple, and it's just, they, they really, really pop, and they're very vivid and bold. Uh, do you enjoy photographing those dual enemies? Because I think they're just so beautiful. To, they're they mesmer memor mesmerizing. Yeah, they, re they, like they are, and they're really hard to photograph well. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I, you wouldn't believe how many times I throw them away. You know, you're looking at the images and you think, that just doesn't do it justice. Um, and, and so it's hard to find ways of doing it uh, in a way that makes the image pop. And so the shots that I shot today... Um, they, they are me trying to think of, of doing it in a different way. And, and so I liked those better than just looking at a wall of dual anemone. Mm. I have thousands of those pictures. You know, I could edit, the, yes. I could edit them to death, you know. Yeah. But um, it is hard to do it in a different way, but they are phenomenally colourful. Oh, beautiful. They're amazing. Uh, you seem to take your time. When you're talking today, you say like, oh, I like to take my time to take this photograph. You really need a patient buddy yeah. to be with you. So do you often bring another photographer so they're in the same wavelength and the yeah. same mind frame as you? Or would you just have, like you, you said, you had Eve on a lot of pictures and I don't know if she's a photographer or not. No, but she's not, no. So she Let's must have she loads of patients. Let's so she never becomes one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I, uh, yeah. I, I had a good friend of mine who's, um, he was a photographer and he used to dive a lot with his wife and his wife used to uh, model uh, for, uh, for him. Excellent. And he said the worst thing that could happen to him would be if his wife got interested in taking up photography. Because... <laughs> He he. She had a, they had a great relationship underwater in that she completely ignored him until he needed a diver in the picture, and then she was there. Yeah. Um, but like, there was a bit of banter in the room when we were showing pictures today because uh, like Nick Nick Pfeiffer and I, who's Nick is a wonderful photographer. He was on the podcast last year. Oh, was he? Oh, okay. Such a chint. Yeah. Well, so Nick and I were in school together and and found each other again a number of years later when we we had got together through diving and wow. and we've been firm friends since and dived all over the world together um but we we have a great relationship underwater in that we always joke with each other is that we're firm buddies we get in we do uh, we get into the water and we typically go in different directions and uh, but then typically we we end up surfacing generally around the same time and around the same location oh my god it's just like myself my father my father's a scuba diver as well so we're kind of something similar so we always go down together and uh, you get lost, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But again, we always come up at the same time, close which is, enough to each other. Which is the wrong thing to do, right? So oh, and, correct, and, yeah. And, and I, know, I know it's the wrong thing to do, so <laughs> I wouldn't want people to think that I, I think I'm kind of cavalier about safety, because I'm not really. But um, but if you, if you maintain your equipment and you look after yourself and you, to be self-reliant underwater, yes. it's important, right? And then when you take pictures, it's so boring for non-photographers to dive with a photographer. Because mm. I might sit in front of a rock. Like, that... that shot of where I was talking about using the mirror to get the animal to come out as a butterfly yeah. blenny. That, that was an 84-minute dive, shore dive, and I was practically hypothermic when I came out, but, but I was, like, I really enjoyed it. You know, it was, yeah. for me it was great, but it would have been a nightmare for anybody to dive with me on that. Yeah. And, and it, that day, Nick and I were together, right? And wow. I know a kind of, like, an hour into it, he swam over to me. I looked around, and there he was looking at me, and we were kind of saying, oh, you okay? I'm okay. You okay? Yeah, that's grand. But I didn't see him again until we got to the shore. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, you put up one photograph, and there was, like, 20 hammerhead sharks. Now, I don't know where the hammerhead shark is on the deadly chain and how vicious they are, were you not shitting it? <laughs> no. Uh, no, I was holding my breath. Because uh, ha hammerheads aren't dangerous, right? The, the, there's lots of different types of hammerheads, for a start. Uh, the, what I showed there was a school of uh, scalloped hammerheads. Um, and they, uh, the best place to find scalloped hammerheads is, is in what they call the Galapagos Triangle, mm -hmm. uh, or the sometimes called the Cocos Triangle, because it's, it's a triangle between 
Cocos Island, the Galapagos Island, and an island off Colombia called Malpelo. And the hammerheads migrate through undersea channels around that area. So it's a really good place to go and see them. But they're really scared of divers. And it's incredibly difficult to get close to them. My God. So they don't like bubbles. And as a scuba diver, bubbles are pretty essential oh, part you of what you're doing. Them, like, you know. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, but increasingly, divers are getting close to them using rebreathers. Yeah, I was just about to say, maybe yeah. that would be the way to go. It's, it's, you know, the film, the guys who are shooting them for film will use rebreathers. But okay. that was, that photo, I took that photograph on one day where um, we were in Cocos Island and I had gone off down the reef by myself and I kind of, I could see them out in the blue and I thought, if I just hang here, try and blend into the rock, bury myself in a rock, and, and just see would they come in. And I was just incredibly lucky that they did. And I had, a, I had a very wide lens on, and so they needed to be really close to be worth anything to me. Yeah. And they just kept coming. And, and I'm holding my breath, you know, thinking, don't breathe, don't breathe. And it was, you know, I was turning blue taking that picture. <laughs> and as soon as I breathed out, I got, I got maybe three or four frames. And as soon as I breathed out, they just scattered and were gone. Wow. And that was it. That's so they're, they're not dangerous. They're just really nervous of, of people. Okay. Yeah, and I suppose people are nervous of people, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite rightly. <laughs> yeah. So you talked about one shot and that uh, you had the wrong lens on, so you decided to go back to the boat and then change lenses and then come back down. Did you have to do a safety stop to go back up and change the lens? Are you uh, that dedicated to get that shot? Yeah, probably, yeah. Um, that was in Rajampat where uh, I, I found this little Blenny living on a uh, sea squirt. Yeah. And I thought, this is great. You know, this is like animal behavior is hard to get underwater. But what we, was so different that you needed to go get the lens? What was so special about it? Because where the animal, I had a 60 macro lens on um, and, yeah. and I, where the animal was, I couldn't get it in the frame with a 60. I needed to have a 105. Wow. And I, need, I knew I had the 105 in the boat, but to change that, you have to get back out. You have to yes. rinse the housing, dry the housing, take the port off, take the lens off, put a new port and a new lens on, and then go back in and uh, and try and find that same spot on the reef again, which I, I was confident I could because we weren't far away from that reef. Okay. I knew I, I, when I left it, I was like, okay, there's a big sea fan there. There's a big coral head there. I can find that again. And and so I did. And I got back to the same spot and was able to photograph it with the 105. I suppose it's clear water, so it's much easier than Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> much, sometimes it'd be yeah. like diving in a pint of Guinness. Um, so you seem to use a bit of rim lighting on a few shots, which I thought was very interesting because there was a few talks earlier today. Uh, Meryl or Damien was talking about uh, maybe experimenting and pushing the boat that bit further, and you actually do it. So you said you use some continuous light and mm. a bit of flash utilising both. Uh, talk me through the process of that. Uh, so yeah, I, I, well, in the shot that I showed today uh, was um, what we call a fireworks anemone, which is um, which is a really big tube anemone that lives in sediment, very fine sediment. Um, and it's hard to photograph because when you get close to it, it's easy to stir up the seabed, in which case you can't see anything. Mm. So uh, what I wanted to try and do was minimize the backscatter. And I thought if I light it from behind, the backscatter won't be as evident. And I thought it would might make an interesting silhouette if I lit it from behind. So um, that photograph was an in-camera double exposure. So the first thing I did was I got in the water with Nick and I photographed Nick. Mm. No background, no uh, foreground subject, just a monochrome picture of the silhouette of a diver holding his camera. And he then photographed me. And so we did that and then we both went our separate ways. And then I went down, found a fireworks anemone, and then I had a big video light, um, a six and a half thousand lumen light, wow. and I put that behind the fireworks anemone, and then I, and I put that uh, up current, yes. so that then I swam around and pointed myself into the current, so anything that I disturbed would be swept away from me, and then I was looking into the light with the behind, you know, with the fireworks and enemies between me and the light. Jeez, you thought of it all, didn't you, with the current and everything? Yeah. I wouldn't have thought of that. Well, uh, (laughs) you would have. After two minutes, you'd have (laughs) realised I'm in the wrong place. Uh, So then, and so then I'd I'd photographed like that, and I thought, this is nice. This works works really well. And the great thing about the Nikon camera is you you can do the image overlay while you're there. That's right. So yes. underwater, I'm able to take image A and overlay it onto image B and say, okay, that works. Or maybe I need to move it slightly to the left and then shoot it again. And so I'd done a few of those and I liked the image. 
And then I thought, I wonder if could I pop a little bit of light back in mm. to put the color back into the anemone. And I shot that and I liked that better. Lo and behold. Yeah. It, it yeah. was a class image. I loved well, it. Thank it you. really, it really uh, appealed to me when I saw it. There is an also another photograph, and you'd swear the two of them are best buddies. And me, myself, I have dove at Dusty. It's a great experience. Yeah, and you have Nick over the side of the, the boat and you have a split shot then of uh, Dusty then coming up as if they're best buddies yeah. out. I loved it when I seen it I was like so jealous I wish that was me and I had that picture I'd fra- I'd de- I'm sure Nick has it framed in his house it's class yeah yeah I yeah. don't think he does ah <laughs> oh, Jesus Nick come on <laughs> You, you seem to like to use a lot of divers in your pictures. Why is that? Uh, uh, well, I think one of the things that the divers do immediately is it, it allows the viewer imagine themselves in the scene. And mm. for non-divers um, and people who haven't been underwater, it's hard for them to imagine what it's like. Uh, and, and often I use my photography to try and explain to people that it's not dark it's not green always, like sometimes yes. it is, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. And, and also, it's incredibly colourful underwater. And that's the thing that surprises most people. And I, so why do I put people in my pictures? A, because I'm often diving with people who want me to take their picture. Uh, and B, because it helps non-divers put, imagine themselves in that place and gives them a sense of context and scale and lets them see what they're looking at because you're looking at animals that are very unusual and people don't know how big they are, how small they are, you know, what, yeah. what does that look like and what colour is it relative to a person, etc. So it so gives it a sense of scale then as well. Scale also. and context and empathy yeah. and all of those things that kind of, kind of grab you into a picture. And look, I take an awful lot of very bad pictures, you know, like, it's it's you know I showed 140 pictures today. They're fabulous, all of them. There's not a single picture I didn't like, and that's been 100. percent oh, That's true. really kind of you to say that. But I can tell you that there's probably in the creation of that there's thousands of photographs yeah. that have been taken, and I'm dumping lots of them. You know, wow. but every so often you look at a picture and you think, you know, I nearly got that right. Yeah. And, and I'll keep that picture. And then if I'm going back to that location, I might look at it and say, well, now do I want to try and reshoot that? Do I want to try and do that again? Like I showed one today where I had a picture of uh, back of a ship, uh, a shipwreck in Scotland, where there was a propeller and a rudder. Yes. And, and I knew when I took that picture, it was a terrible picture, but I knew that if I could get it in reasonable conditions and put a diver there, I could make a good picture with that. Very and good. went back a year later and reshot that. And yeah. that's, that was in the Isle of Mull, is it? Yeah, in the Isle of Mull. Yeah. Of, uh, so if you go directly north of Ballycastle oh, in Northern know, Ireland, yeah, yeah. and then up to Isle of Mull mm. and then hang, a, hang a, a, right, a left, it'll bring you out to that channel and it's a fabulous place. Brilliant, because uh, a previous guest to the podcast and a good friend of ours, Gavin Harcastle himself and Adam Gibbs, who was uh, International Landscape Photographer of the Year, oh, wow. they went over to Isle of Mull and they, they seemed to really, really like it from a landscape yeah. kind of yeah. point of view. So And they've done all these kind of Icelandic columns of, of oh, stone. Oh, that's right. The Paps uh, of Jura. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. And then when you said Mull, I would, it, my ears perked up straight away. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah. Very it's a beautiful cool. place. And the, and the other stunning place up there where we actually dived in that is the um, Fingal's Cave, uh, which is a... a um, columnar basalt you know like the Giant's Causeway yes it's the same geographical look uh, structure that comes up in that area yeah and, just, yeah, and it's a stunning there. place to see yeah. beautiful place it's to unreal. see yeah. yeah that's class and um, you really push the boat in this style of photography and uh, it's not often that you see panning underwater but you like to use uh, movement in your photographs and using uh, dragging the shutter and then yeah. freezing the images with flash and you do it a different way which I thought you would have uh, but I won't spoil it I'll let you t- talk talk me through it yeah so one of the like sometimes it's nice to try and create movement in the picture you know to try and show that something is happening quickly and when underwater we tend to use a lot of strobe uh, and and strobe can freeze an image so you can you can lock something that's happened at a moment in time by by using a strobe light, um, but sometimes that's not the way it is, and you want to cry, try and convey, convey that movement. So, and because light levels are low, I often use really slow shutter speeds. Um, and so, I showed you a sequence of images today, where one of which I know the one that I like kind of most interesting to me is one where I had the shutter open for ten seconds. Yeah. And I was explaining that to you, and, and you and you quite rightly said, "Would you use rear curtain sync?" And uh, it was when I got out of the boat, I realized I got out of the water and back into the boat. I thought, I wonder should I've used rear curtain sync on that because <laughs> I hadn't. But actually, I realized that you can't do it that way because in that situation, what I was doing was I I got into the water to try and take pictures of uh, silky sharks, 
as the sun was going down. And I was trying to do split shots where the top of the frame would show the sunset above the water and the bottom of the frame would be underwater showing the sharks swimming around in, in the water. And so I had done that as the sun was sinking. And as the sun went down then, the sky turned into this orange beautiful orange oh, sky and I yeah. thought oh that looks really good so I went under the water and I was shooting up towards that orange sky trying to get the silky sharks and this is great uh, but as the light went down it got it needed fast or slower and slower shutter speeds to be able to record that light and eventually I realized man I'm shooting like half a second here and the sharks were moving and then one of them because I'm in the water with them one of them kind of came up and bumped into me and was and, and I realized okay this is they're getting interested in me now rather than <laughs> in <laughs> what way yeah so I thought well it's dinner like sharks get more active in the evening you know that what they call the golden hour just before the as the sun is going down so he thought well the, you want to react you when a shark hits you you need to react back to show look I'm not prey here I'm not weak I'm strong and if you hit me you're going to get hit back so I punched the shark to punch it and and <laughs> Any fast movement at all, another one came in and bumped up against the camera, and I kind of pushed it away with the camera. But their skin is incredibly rough. Yes. If you move, if you move from front head to tail, it's smooth and soft. But if you rub your fingers in the wrong direction, it's very rough. Very and coarse. they used to use it as sandpaper, so shark skin as sandpaper. But that, of course, rubbed across the front of my dome. And the dome I was using, because I had a circular fisheye zoom on, I wanted to be able to have a dome that did have, didn't have a shade. Uh, on it, and as a consequence, that that dome was acrylic rather than glass. I would normally use a glass dome. That one was acrylic, and when the shark rubbed up against it, it scuffed the dome. Uh. Right? So now I had this big kind of patch on the front of the dome that I couldn't shoot through. Yeah. So I thought, well, how am I going to deal with that? So I I then started trying to keep that the interesting part of the shark, like the head and the face of the shark, in this clear part of the dome and keep everything else blurred. And I thought the easiest way to blur it is to use really slow shutter speeds, yeah. which I did. And so because you're then not seeing the shark, uh, because the shark is coming at you, you need to have the flash at the start of the exposure rather than at the end of the exposure. So that's why rear curtain sync wouldn't work because yeah. I don't know where the fish is going to be when, yeah. the, when the f exposure is over. You obviously didn't go to telepathy class, so... No. And, and so what I was doing was I was opening the shutter, firing a little bit of flash at the shark and then waving the camera around and then closing the shutter. And I would count like one second, two second, three second. And at the end, I was needing 10 seconds of exposure to get any kind of blue in the background at all. Yeah, that's um, cool. Yeah, it was great. It was I like I loved it. It was but I, when I came up surfaced and I got back into the boat, the guys are looking at me going, how are you taking pictures in the dark? Like, what, why yeah. would you take pictures in the dark? I was like, well, they're not dark. Look at them, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's all it was, about technique. Yeah, yeah. Manipulating the light. That's, all, that's what photography is all about. It, and it, and it really felt that, you know, like it was painting the light into the frame yeah. for a long period of time, yeah. Brilliant. I'm not going to keep him too much longer. I just want to ask you one more thing about the crocodiles. We talked about the crocodiles uh, two podcasts ago, and I, I, that was it. That was a drop that. No, I says, I draw a line. I'd chance sharks. I really would. But when it comes to crocodiles, I draw a line. No way am I getting in there because you, you watch any National Geographic or anything on TV, a crocodile or an alligator will eat you. But yet, you yeah. have the cojones to get into these mangroves, into these waters, where you couldn't see a thing one side, and then you turn around, there's a bloody crocodile in your face. Yeah. And you loved it. It was brilliant, yeah. Well, in fairness, we like we wanted to photograph the crocodiles. It wasn't that just one turned up and oh, I right, said, okay. okay, I'm getting in. I'd gone there and hoping that we would get to photograph them. And, and, and you say you wouldn't get in the water, but I bet you would, Dermot. I bet you if we were in the boat and, <laughs> and you saw me swimming around for half an hour with a crocodile, you would eventually go, yeah, actually, this is fine. And My wife would kill me if she found out, but I, I don't know, I don't know, maybe. Well, I, so look, it, it does sound like a nuts thing to do. And, and in fairness, we have, we have this amazing video clip of... Um, uh, the uh, Paul Connery shot who was with us it was myself and Nick Paul uh, and Tim Gleason had gone out mm. there four of us and um, Paul was shooting video and uh, he got this incredible clip of one crocodile grabbing another crocodile who in turn grabbed the photographer's strobe uh. and and there was a big lot of splashing and, and gnashing of teeth and you know and for one moment there I thought oh yeah Tim is going to lose his arm <laughs> oh, <Jesus laughs> so um, but it, and so when that ended, we all got out, and okay. and, and we didn't do it yeah. again. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but we we'd swum with them three or four times during that trip, and it was wow. it's an amazing place called the Gardens of the Queen, which is about fifty miles south of Cuba, and it's a, a marine reserve that for the 
the last number of years divers have got into uh, and, and realized that the reefs there are incredibly good, unbelievably preserved, very strong uh, shark life, very strong marine life generally. But there's an area there where there's you know, seven or eight crocodiles that have got habituated to people and you can get in the water with them and you can swim with them. And it's like it's safe. Nobody has been injured yet. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yeah, I love it. Like, and that's when, like, I've heard of you before, and then when you posted those pictures on Instagram, that's when you really hit my radar. And I was there, Jesus, this guy's a, a totally different gravy, like you know. And <laughs> we po- we shared your picture on the podcast Instagram page. We asked you, obviously. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, I remember said, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, this guy is just epic. But. Uh, I'd love to stay and talk about the orcas, but maybe if you wanted to come on the podcast another time and we talk yeah, about your trip to Norway, yeah. uh, we'll keep the listeners in uh, in hope that you'll come on and uh, talk about that. Well, sometime. you and I are going to go diving together. That's what yeah, we're going to do, isn't that right? Yeah. yeah. Port Row, something, we'll, we'll try something new. Something. We'll try something newfangled with lots of light. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll have a bit of crack. Nigel, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. You've been very entertaining. And, Not at uh, all. Yeah, happy days. Thank Thanks for having much. me. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And now we're nearing the end of the day, first day of the Dive Show Expo in the Radisson Blue Hotel in Limerick. So, Ahanish, I know it's not Ahanish, it's Atlantic Dive Club, they'll kill me if they hear that. <laughs> and Limerick Tobacco Club have done a joint effort to host this amazing dive show. And the CFT Vincent O'Brien Memorial uh, Annual Underwater Photography Competition, the results are in. And we have a winner! And your winner is... Not me. It is Joe Fitzgibbon. <laughs> Joe Fitzgibbon, well done, boy. Yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you. Thank oh, you. man, congratulations. I am absolutely beaming for you. My heart is still pounding in my chest here. Like a lab rat. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. Why not? Well, I don't know. I just, you know, I still consider myself a beginner, you see. Oh, I highly doubt but it. But I think what, I've, what has happened in the last year is I've got luckier. As I've kept taking pictures. Better to be lucky than good. <laughs> <laughs> no, Joe, it, I, I, I think you're the biggest liar going. Well, you're actually ridiculously talented as an underwater photographer. And your knowledge for things that are under the water, notice how I say things as my lack of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, so you have a keen interest in little critters and names and all this. Like, Tell me a bit more about your interest in underwater sea squirts and critters. Well, and you see... That all started actually uh, a dive in St. John's Point. Mm. And I was diving with my good dive buddies, Tony and Benny, Frank. Uh, Benny, I met Benny a while ago. That's right. And Benny is looking amazed at this wall, at this <laughs> rock. And I'm swimming by looking for, you know, something exciting. And I just catch the expression on his face. He's just enthralled by what he's seeing. Yeah. I didn't see what I was looking at. All right. And then when he was looking and then i started looking and i started to see oh right yeah so we have anemones and dead man's fingers and then little critters and sea squirts and so uh, being so fortunate as to dive with those guys who know so much about the underwater world i started to take a keen interest and started to learn everything from them Mm. so then i bought a camera with one purpose in mind take a picture come back to the surface and point at and say, what was that? Because you okay. can't say that when you're underwater. No. Right? So if you have... <laughs> <laughs> That's how it comes out, yeah? Exactly, yeah. And then we, if you come back without a picture, and you say, what was that thing, you know, that was on the... With the spots yeah, and the stripes, yeah. 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 I have no idea. <laughs> exactly. So being able to show them an image, yes. and my, my pictures, right, photos because I wasn't even calling them images then, right? It was just like take a snap uh, for purely for ID purposes. Right. And and by the way, I didn't take a camera underwater until I did about 100 dives. My God. So I was, was, my diving was sort of, you know, controlled. Yeah. And then I started bringing a camera Mm. for that one purpose. And then what happened was I just posted up one of my, images Hmm. on the CFT underwater Facebook page and I asked the lads for some tips and then lo and behold you know folk like Martin Kiley and Ivan and they they came along and they made suggestions about how to improve the composition the lighting and all the rest of it and then shortly after that 
they organized an underwater photography sort of weekend in Kilkee. Ah. So myself and dive buddy Tony went down there and we had Nigel and Ivan and Brian Stone was there and Martin and Mike Orth. And they, they just started to tell us how to take good, pictures. good looking pictures. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how to compose, how to play with the light, how to understand the light, my, the triangle, the basic triangle. Yes, of, yes. Uh, that was all brand new to me. Okay. So then I started to take those concepts down with my little point and shoot. Hmm. And uh, then I started to get lucky. And <laughs> luckier, and luckier, and luckier. <laughs> and then some images started to come out really nice. So Brilliant. Yeah. So what are you shooting on now? What camera have you got? Well, this portfolio was six images. Yeah. And uh, four of them were taken with the Nikon Coolpix point and shoot. Fake off. With a handheld torch. And the other two were taken with uh, an Olympus uh, TG5 handheld that, torch. That, that's absolutely brilliant. And I found, I'm dumbfounded by that uh, to think you don't need all the biggest gear. You just yeah. need an eye for composition and colours and being able to manipulate the light in a certain way that you want. And I think it's really cool the fact you didn't use any strobes. It was all torchlight. Yeah. You know, so it's very interesting. Uh, something that I might try a bit more rather than using my own strobes. I yeah. might try a bit more. We get the diffuser from the milk carton. Just cut out a circle. Oh, yeah. 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 And then tape it on with waterproof tape. Go away. And off you go. Bob's your uncle. Yeah. Wow. Right, let's get over to your panel. So, like I said, we've six images. So you've three wide angle, and mm -hmm. then you've three macro. Yeah. Talk me through your favorite macro picture out of that panel. The favorite macro, mm. to me, it was actually the scorpion, the one that you know, the eye to eye with the scorpion. Yeah. That was now, that's not the one. He's very red. Isn't yeah. He? Yeah. It didn't win any prize, but what I really liked about that was the sharpness of the eye, tack sharp, and then the texture down the right sort of face, side of the yeah. face, and the bouquet that was in front and behind. Yes. And I remember posting that one on Facebook, and you commented and said, that's a banger. That's <laughs> a banger. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, and actually, that's on my, my lock screen on my phone, that image, right? Yeah, yeah. I just really liked the, the sharpness and the, the one line of focus, the depth of field, the bouquet, that, that really appealed to me. But the image that won the, uh, the macro section yes. was the butterfly Blenny in a bottle. Uh, yeah, that's right. That was yeah. just... How did you get the colours there? It's just... Those, I'm blown away. Those colours were there. I mean, I, I just insane. light my torch and turn the angle. I, got, I managed to get a black background yes. by directing the beam yeah. and then by tweaking it in Lightroom. Oh, Lightroom's great. But it's only a JPEG, so you have very limited ability yeah, in Lightroom yeah, with a JPEG. Yeah. But nevertheless, it just, it just filled the frame nicely, and the, the eye popped out, the little red around the black pupil. Uh, so that, that worked out really quite, quite well. That's class. That's <coughs> class. So talk me through your favourite wide-angle shot of the panel. Hmm. Hmm. It has to be the Serpula vermicularis, the tube worms. Give me a quick look at it just to make sure that I have the, the one in the middle, yeah? The, no, no, oh, that's the one? firework, the one on the far top. On the far right? right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's orange in it, so it's very pretty. <laughs> orange is my favourite colour, Joe. <laughs> the, the, but the reason, you see, like as an image, you might say, oh, that's nothing. But those guys are very skittish, and they have an eye, so they detect light. Ah. And they detect the pressure wave that comes in front of you when you're diving towards them. So when they detect any change like that, they retract and they go down into their little tube. It's like a fly. A fly can feel anything coming to them right. ages away. So it feels the vibrations and fur of its uh, body, I suppose. Right. So it's something similar to that. So the fact that virtually every single worm is out of its tube and filter feeding... Um, and I, have, I, have, I think I have a secret technique for this. Oh, please do tell. What was that? Oh, that's my drone. Ah. Okay, your time is up. <laughs> uh, keep going, Joe. Never mind the drone. So the secret, guys, is that don't swim straight at the colony of tube worms, but swim at a 90-degree angle. 
so as if you're swimming alongside them, not towards them. Okay. And then hold your camera out uh, with a straight arm from your from your body, and then just take a whole series of pictures. Like a drive-by shooting. Like a drive-by shooting. <laughs> and don't pretend. Don't let them know that you're even looking at them. Are you fooling? Because they're the, making this no, up. No, I'm yeah? not. Because think about this: right? the pressure wave, like a boat going through water, the bow wave oh, yeah, yeah. will come out behind you. Yeah. Okay, and then we'll get bigger and bigger. So, uh, and th there's a little bit in front, okay, but they don't detect that if you're just coming in from the side like this. Oh my God. And then you click, 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 ambient light. Yeah. You're in shallow water, but it's all green. And then you go home to Lightroom and you tell Lightroom that that little piece of tube, that's white. Yeah. And then suddenly the whole thing pops. pops. Mm. All the greens just disappear. You get this lovely blue background, then you get these red and yellow and orange uh, tube worms that pop out. That's amazing. So I think it's, it's the, the, the animal itself that is so hard to capture. Yeah. That's why, that's my favourite shot. It's class. Well done, man. I, I genuinely, like when you, uh, like, no one knew what anyone was entering. Everyone was secretive about this, you know, <laughs> uh, leading up to it. And there was images that I held back that I didn't even post online <laughs> just for this competition. And, uh, mm. like, we all submitted our images. They were judged, and then people started posting stuff online. So Mike's stuff got posted. Mike's got stuff posted. And as they're going, oh, myself and Mike now are kind of in the same wavelength. We're kind of even. Yeah. And then next minute, uh, Ivan posted your one. I was like, ah, here. Everyone just go home. Like <laughs> I said it three weeks ago, Joe, that you were going to win. I said it in the podcast. I said it to all the lads. I said, I knew Joe Fitzgibbon, hands down, is going to win this competition. Yeah. And you did, man. I did. You should be I'm so amazed. proud of yourself. I'm amazed. I'm just amazed. I, I, I wasn't expecting it. They were unreal. There's something, uh, they were so vivid, so bright, so mm. powerful that no one else had, only you. Mm. You know, so you should be really proud of what you've achieved today well, because it's monumental, man. I'm mm. amazed. I'm amazed. Thank uh, you. No thank problem. You. Right, Joe, thank you very much for My coming. My pleasure. To and uh, yeah, I'm really wrecked hard, so I'm going to have a pint. I'm going to go home. And uh, I'm going to have a dirty Chinese as well. I love Chinese food. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Enjoy. buddy. Cheers. Really appreciate it. All the best. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the Irish Photography Podcast. And what an amazing podcast it really was. And to say that it was just an awesome day would be an understatement. I had so much fun from the CF team, Vincent O'Brien Memorial Photography Competition. We had such a great time. Um, some of the speakers there were really, really awesome and some of the quality of the pictures was just mind-blowing simply because the talent that we have here on the shores of Ireland is just brilliant. It's, it's just amazing. Now, I'm going to get out of here. I am famished with the hunger. I really need to get some food and maybe even a pint. I think I deserve it. I've been working non-stop since half eight this morning here at the Day Show and it's coming up on eight o'clock now. So yeah, I'm going to get some food, get home, get some shut eye because I'm right back here again in the morning at 9pm. So guys, I hope you tune into next week's episode where myself and Darren will be venturing off up onto the coastal lines of Donegal and we're going to see some fabulous scenery such as Crahi Arch and Fanet Lighthouse and a few other bits and bobs. So be sure to tune in for that episode guys and I'll see you next week. Ayo! Hey guys, if you dig what you're hearing, why don't you jump over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, and don't forget to share with your friends. With all that done, we'll see you next week, and remember, keep shooting.